Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Gary Parrish, it's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. David Cobb is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. And if we get to, say, 200 likes on this video on YouTube, we're going to give away a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus, which is your place to stream NCAA tournament games, the NFL, Champions League, PGA Tour, and some of the best films and shows being made right now. Among them, 1883, starring Sam Elliott, Tim McGraw, and Faith Hill. True story. Hand to heart. This is true. Went to dinner last night with the family. Table next to me. They were discussing in great detail 1883. Can't watch it without Paramount+. Plus, So... Smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. And then in the comments, just like shout out to uh, Larnell or Leaky Black or Dodo Birds or Huck the Dog, whatever you want, St. Peter's, doesn't matter to me, Peacock Impersonations. And uh, leave your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle with the comment. If you win, Nada will contact you and hook you up. All right, let's get into it. We're doing this on Wednesday, and the Sweet 16 starts Thursday. And what I want to do on this episode is discuss all eight matchups. We'll, we'll preview them. We'll predict them. Uh, and we're going to take them in the order that they're going to be played, which means we're going to start with uh, Gonzaga, Arkansas. That's number one seed Gonzaga, four seed Arkansas. Inside the Chase Center, San Francisco. It's going to be Thursday night, tip off 7.09 p.m. Eastern. Gonzaga is listed as a nine-point favorite. David Cobb, do you give the Razorbacks a legitimate shot to upset the Zags in California? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is random, but have you ever thought that perhaps Mark Few and Eric Musselman could be brothers? I could see that, sure. You know, one's the reserved brother, one's the more outgoing brother. Uh, anyway, that just crossed my mind when I was looking at this matchup. They're close in age. They're both short, uh, blonde hair, you know, whatever. That's maybe the end of the similarities. But, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think Arkansas has a chance because if you go back to last year's Elite Eight game, Arkansas versus Baylor, Baylor ended up winning that game by around 10 points, if I recall. But Arkansas was in that game the entire way and wasn't outclassed. It was clear Gonzaga was – or uh, Baylor was the more talented team. But it was also obvious that Arkansas had the self-belief to compete in that spot. And I think this Arkansas team is not quite as talented as last year's team was with Moses Moody and Justice Smith. But I do think that this Gonzaga team might not be quite as good as, as last year's Baylor national champion was. So just looking at it from that perspective, Eric Musselman will be a master motivator and have his guys believing that they can go out there and hang with the Zags, especially after the Zags demonstrated they were somewhat vulnerable during the first weekend. You know, I've been asked a lot over the past few days, like, are you concerned about Gonzaga after, you know, the way Memphis 
outplayed them. You know, Memphis was up 12 in the first half, 10 at halftime. And then the Zags, behind an incredible effort from Drew Timmy, ended up winning the game, um, you know, I believe by four points. And so my answer consistently has been no. I, I, I actually was impressed by Gonzaga which, with the way that they handled that Memphis situation. I mean, you know, they go down 12. Um, they're down 10 at the break. At that point, uh, on the live line, they were actually two-point underdogs in the game. With 20 minutes left to go, Memphis was favored to win that game. And then Timmy went off. Memphis didn't play poorly in the second half. Um, the Zags just took their best punch and and, and punched back and, and showed themselves to be the better team. I was encouraged Gary, they, by they that. They decided... It was like at halftime they decided that they weren't going to play like no soft guys anymore. <laughs> I, I love that he said to stop himself and say, we're not going to play like soft guys. It's hilarious from Drew Timmy. So he was awesome in that second half. He's been awesome in this NCAA tournament. I still think Gonzaga uh, should be the favorite to win the whole thing. Still my pick to win the whole thing. Timmy's averaging 28 and a half points, 13.5 rebounds in this tournament on his way to, um, you know, if the Zags get there and win it all, you know, looking like a the, the most likely person to be the most outstanding player of the final four. Arkansas's leading scorer is scoring, but not efficiently, not like Timmy. And obviously they're very different players, but J.D. Note is just 10 of 34 from the field in this NCAA tournament. 29.4%. So he's going to have to be um, a, a, a lot better i mean he's going to get points no matter what because he's going to get shots up no matter what but he's got to be a little more efficient like if he's going to take 17 shots you know he's got to make a, a bigger up uh, a bigger percentage of them than what he's uh been making so far in this NCAA tournament it is worth noting though you know the razorback strength is their defense arkansas after it dropped to zero and three in the sec that's what it started zero and three in the sec if you go to torvik Barttorvik.com and run the numbers from January 9th. That's the day after they dropped to 0-3 in the SEC. If you run the numbers from January 9th to the present, the Hogs are third in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Now, Gonzaga on the season is top 10 in offense and defense. Um, so, like, you know, the Zags are rock solid on both sides of the ball. But Arkansas will put up some resistance. I, bottom line, I think Gonzaga wins the game. But nine's a big number. I might take Arkansas. I will take Arkansas plus the nine, but Gonzaga to win the game. Where are you at on it? That, that, that's where I am as well. And I think a key to this game could be Arkansas getting Gonzaga foul trouble and not just the front court. Like, obviously, Holmgren is somewhat susceptible to fouls, but I don't trust the guards on this Gonzaga team beyond Nimhard and Sa and uh, uh, Rasir Bolton. I don't trust Salas and Hickman to take big-time shots and big-time moments when Arkansas is on a run or something like that. So that's my big question with Gonzaga. Nimard and, and uh, Bolton have been phenomenal as of late in big games. Can they keep that up? And what happens if one of them needs to leave the game for an extended period of time? Do we trust those freshman guards? I don't trust them like I did Jalen Suggs, that's for sure. So that'll be the first game. Gonzaga, Arkansas, tip it off on Thursday. The second game to tip off is going to be Villanova, Michigan. Two seed Villanova, 11 seed Michigan, AT&T Center in San Antonio. It's Thursday night, 729 p.m. Eastern. Villanova listed as a five-point favorite. Here's the question. Can Michigan, like UCLA last season, actually go from the first four next step to the Elite Eight? Sure, why not? <laughs> uh they, they played really well in that second half against Tennessee. Eli Brooks got going. They made a Tennessee defense that was strong all season look not so strong. 
because it was more than just Dickinson. Once Dickinson got rolling and drew Tennessee's bigs out of the paint, the the door completely flung wide open for that Michigan offense. And I think there's still a, a big game to be had for Caleb Houston at some point. He was a total non-factor against Tennessee. So I think the size of Hunter Dickinson is a little bit of an issue for Villanova because Villanova's not a huge team on the interior. Uh, they've got the girth. They don't necessarily have the length, though. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know. I think I think Michigan's got a, a shot to to hang here because they're they're playing well. They're riding they're riding the wave of confidence. That's that's what this time of year is all about. Yeah, like as I go through this, and you'll probably pick up on it as we we get to all eight games in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, some of these numbers like are are so big that I'm uh, you know I will take the favorite to win the game, but I'll take the underdog to stay within the number, and that's what this one is for me. Villanova's on a seven game winning streak, playing really well. Michigan trying to win three state straight for just the second time this season, and for the first time since January. Um, so I will take Villanova to win the game in advance, but I think I'll take Michigan plus the five. The third game to tip off on Thursday night, uh, two seed Duke, three seed Texas Tech inside the Chase Center in San Francisco. Thursday night, approximately 9.40 p.m. Eastern. This is the one game where the lower-seeded team is actually favored over the higher-seeded team. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. Is this the final game of Coach K's career? I, I do have it as the final game of Coach K's career. Uh, after he survives Tom Izzo, just fitting that that it would be Mark Adams who used to coach at Wayland Baptist and Clarendon College and West A&M, who is the coach that knocks him out. Uh, just the defense of, of Texas Tech, it's just it's just uh, unlike anything Duke has seen, in my opinion. I, I've gone back and looked at their schedule, and I can't find a, a comparable defensive team to the one that Duke will face here against Texas Tech. So that's just a, a massive roadblock for me to get over and predicting a straight-up Duke, Duke victory here. Yeah, like this is one where I'm just sticking with my initial bracket, and my initial bracket had to, had Duke advancing to the Elite Eight to play Gonzaga, which would be uh, just an awesome situation on Saturday. The number one overall seed against Coach K and Gonzaga – having an opportunity on its way to its first national title to end Mike Krzyzewski's career. Um, I believe it was back in 2015, uh, the Zags were trying to get to their first Final Four, and they were in the lead eight against Duke. I think it was down in Houston. And I was there because I flew straight from New York. Um, I wasn't necessarily supposed to go, but it was a Sunday afternoon game, I believe, and it was like, hey, if you can get there – um, you know, it could be Gonzaga going to the Final Four for the first time with a victory over Duke. And the other side of it's also interesting, Duke with Mike Krzyzewski back in the Final Four. So I ended up going there, and Duke won that game to advance to the Final Four, win the national title. But it could get flipped around this time. Duke-Gonzaga Elite Eight, but the Zags win in Coach K's career and ultimately going to win its first national title. I'm still going to stay with that storyline, even if everything you said is true. I mean, Texas Tech looks overwhelming on the defensive end of the court. The best defensive team in America. They're big, they're strong, they're tough. Um, Duke will have to play as well as it's played all season, including the game where it beat Gonzaga early. Uh, Duke's going to have to play as well as it's played all season to get past this one. I'll take Duke plus the point, but I don't feel great about it we'll see game four on thursday night it'll be the top seed arizona 
against Fifth Seat Houston inside the AT&T Center in San Antonio. Going to tip off right approximately 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Arizona is listed as a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Can Kelvin Sampson win another game in this NCAA tournament despite the fact that the early season losses suggested at least in time that he ain't supposed to be here? Uh, I'm doing it again. I'm picking it again. I'm picking against Houston, against my better judgment. Every time I watch him win a big game and I'm like, okay, I'm, I believe in Houston now. I'm riding with the Cougars. Kelvin Sampson's proven it to me again. I won't doubt this team again. Uh, I'm in their corner. And then every time when it comes time to pick the game, I'm like, oh, I don't believe in Houston as much as I thought I did 48 hours ago. And I'm in that same situation now. With And it's not if, – if, if I'll say this. If Houston was playing Kansas, I would pick Houston. If Houston was playing uh, any of the other number one seeds, I think I might – even Gonzaga, I think I might pick Houston. I, I just like this Arizona team, and I'm falling back on like you were a couple picks ago, my original bracket, which is Arizona winning the national championship. And if that's going to happen – they got to beat Houston. So that's where I fall on it. And I just, it's just, it's a problem at this point. My inability to actually believe in Houston. It's, it's, it's a me thing. It's not a Houston thing. It's, it's a problem <laughs> on my end. My issue isn't that I don't believe in Houston. It's just that I fundamentally have forever believed. And I'll keep believing this, by the way, as long as it doesn't apply to Houston, that when you lose two of your top four players in December, you're not going to be uh, a, a great basketball team. And if that happens to a top 25 team next season, the exact same thing, I will assume they're not going to be great. And I'll probably be right, uh, unless it's Houston. And then I won't assume it because I'll just uh, point back to what happened in the 2021 season. By the way, season. have you ever like run into Taz, Taz Moore's like family at Walmart? Uh, so how about this? It, it, it's Taze Moore. Taze Moore. Yeah, right. And, and um, this is interesting because he's from South Haven, Mississippi. Um, that's one town over from where I live. It is like to drive from my home to Memphis – so when I take the drive to the in, uh, airport here in, you know, 45 minutes or so, I will have to drive through South Haven, Mississippi. It is where my parents graduated high school. Um, it is where uh, they graduated high school, by the way, with John Grisham, New York Times bestselling author. It is Love where John my Grisham. wife. Okay. No, my parents were, we were in the same graduating class with John Grisham. Like when I when I was little, he was just like Mr. John. And then I remember, this is my only memory of all that stuff, is that my mom at one point said, uh, you know, they're turning Mr. John's book into a movie and Tom Cruise is going to be in it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds made up. The, the, firm. the firm. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. shot in downtown Memphis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like, uh, that, like Mr. John's going to have a movie about his book and Tom Cruise is going to be in it. That doesn't sound like real life. But um, he had a lot of movies made after his books. He's hey, done well hey, for himself. Best author from Mississippi since Faulkner, you know. How about most successful author from Mississippi since Faulkner? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that the way that came off. Mr. James, always, I, re, I remember him fondly. So um, anyway, my wife went to school there, graduated there. From my, my wife used to teach at South Haven High School. I say all this to say, uh, I say all that to say this. I had never heard of Taze Moore until this year. He goes to Cal State Bakersfield at a high school. I can't find any evidence that he had like a 24-7 sports recruiting page. Like he just did not he exist. He did, Yeah, he didn't exist. Goes to Cal State Bakersfield for four years. Then he gets to be a super senior, transfers to Houston. And I started wondering, like, how did he end up at Cal State Bakersfield? Well, I think the answer is probably Rod Barnes was the coach at the time. And um, 
former Ole Miss coach, Rod Barnes. So he was probably, he probably had some contact in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Yo, there's this player mm-hmm. in South Haven. He's not on anybody's radar, but like he could maybe help you. And I'm assuming yeah. that's how Taze Moore ends up at Cal State Bakersfield. Anyway, hey, he's hey. now at Houston and he's awesome. That's the story of the Memphis metropolitan area with basketball, not to make it a local thing, but, <laughs> and, and you know, this happens all the time with kids from Chicago and New York and out in the Bay area and stuff. But the fact that this happens in the Memphis area with its population is astounding to me. Every NCAA tournament, I turn on the TV and, the, and they name a player who I've never heard of, who grew up within 30 minutes of where I grew up, who had zero stars, who was not covered as a high school player, because there's always so many other good players in the Memphis area who do get attention that the 27th best player in a given recruiting class from the Memphis area who has zero stars still ends up being a D1 talent. <laughs> Look at, you know, JV on Hamlet from Whitehaven who right. ended up balling out for North Texas last year. Another perfect example. It happens every single year. Some guy from the Memphis area, nobody's ever heard of, including his next door neighbor. ends up being <laughs> a star. Yeah. So it's, it's a great story. Like he's averaging 10 and a half points uh, for a team that's ranked second at Kempom got 21 points and seven rebounds in Houston's last game in the NCAA tournament. So yeah, the Taze Moore, story is is out of nowhere and terrific um should be noted that uh kirk Creasa did play for arizona uh against tcu on sunday night but he was not good uh one of 10 from the field two turns one assist he's got to be better against houston and uh it won't be easy to be better against houston because houston you know can be physical and overwhelming um you know as i've noted many many times because i had a guy uh tweet me at some point in the past 24 hours and he was like, you were talking about Houston and this run they're on and acting like, you know, you couldn't imagine somebody else doing this. What about UCLA last year? They lose Hill, they lose Riley, and they still go to the Final Four. You know, they made a run like this. And I had to correct them, the gentleman, because I have never talked about Houston making a run. First of all, uh, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley were not UCLA's two of UCLA's top four last season. All right. Marcus Esser and Tremont Mark were two of Houston's top four. Those guys were not two of UCLA's top four. So, like, the whole thing is built on a flimsy premise. But I've never talked about Houston going to run. Here's what I said. Name another coach who could lose two of his top four players in December and still win his league title, win his league tournament, and then go to the Sweet 16. I don't know that there's another guy I can see doing that. But that is what Kelvin Sampson just did. UCLA did not lose two of its top four last season. UCLA did not win its league last season. UCLA did not win its league tournament last season. UCLA got hot in the NCAA tournament and went on a run to the Final Four. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Teams go on runs all the time. What Kelvin has been able to do at Houston is, I'm not saying unprecedented, I'm not a historian, but obviously very, very rare to lose two of your top four in December and still win your league, still win your league tournament, and then beat a Big Ten champion to advance to the Sweet 16. That's, so that should underline how um, how I feel about Houston and that program. I did have Arizona going to the Final Four in my initial bracket, though, so I'm just going to stick with that. I'll lay the one and a half with Tommy Lloyd's Wildcats. So that's the four games that are going to be played on Thursday night. We're going to get to Friday's games next, but first, a word from our sponsors. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now to Friday's games. It's going to be the East and Midwest Regionals. The first game is going to tip off third seed Purdue, 15 seed St. Peter's. Going to be inside the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Friday night, 7.09 p.m. Eastern. Purdue listed as a 12.5-point favorite. What will, here's your question, David Cobb, what will Shaheen Holloway be doing Sunday? Coaching in the Elite Eight or accepting the Seton Hall job? I would love to say coaching in the Elite Eight, but I think he'll probably be accepting the Seton Hall job. (laughs) And by the way, like I didn't, I was not bothered by Kevin Willard suggesting in his post-game press conference after Seton Hall's loss that he would like for Shaheen Holloway to be his successor. When you're operating in that hemisphere, to put a Memphis spin on it, it would be like, um, it would be like Penny Hardaway saying that he wanted the the Rhodes coach to be his next, uh, his successor at Memphis. Like the, the, hemispheres in which St. Peter's and Seton Hall operate are so distant that it's not out of line to publicly suggest that like, oh, this coach at St. Peter's should be the coach here. You know, uh, Holloway played it at Seton Hall. Holloway was an assistant at Seton Hall very recently under Kevin Willard. They know each other well. And anybody who's ever uh, watched MAAC basketball understands that just because St. Peter's is competing in the NCAA tournament this month with all these other big programs doesn't make it like those other big programs. So I don't, I don't think it was like weird or like inappropriate, like maybe, maybe, maybe don't, but like at the same time saying that, that Shaheen Holloway should be the next coach at, at Seton hall. I think even the people at St. Peter's would say, wow, that's amazing. Now we can put it on our, on our pages and on our you know Wikipedia that one of our coaches went on to, Coaching the Big East uh, after leading our team to the Sweet 16, you know, I, I don't know. I just it, it was it doesn't bother me that much. And I think he's certainly going to be the guy. Right. But um, I don't think that St. Peter's has got a third dose of magic up its sleeve. It's just but I am picking them against the spread. Twelve and a half is a big number. Purdue gives up a lot of points and you got to respect the Peacocks to a certain degree. I think you got to respect the Peacocks to a certain degree. Like I was unbothered by what Kevin Willard said um, after that NCAA tournament game. I saw people arguing about it. Like you, you, you can't, uh, you can't just throw Shaheen Holloway out there like that. I mean, I, I guess it's unusual to do it. Like this guy's still coaching in the NCAA tournament, and you're already, you know, giving him the Seton Hall job or doing your best to help him get it. Like, is is that a little weird? I, certainly, it's unusual. But on the other hand, like. 
we're all adults here. <laughs> like, do you, you think the people at St. Peter's don't know that if Kevin Willard leaves Seton Hall, uh, Shaheen Holloway is almost certainly going to get that I, job? I bet his players will be so happy for him. I bet they'll be like, oh, this is great. Our coach oh, you ready? Big job. Congrats, let me, man. Like, let, let me take it a step further. You know what his players are going to say? Oh, Can great. With you? <laughs> yes. They're going to try. He'll take a few of them with him. He won't be able to take all of them, but he'll take a, I bet he takes a few of them. And so, yeah, I, I'm assuming Shaheen Holloway isn't the only peacock going to Seton Hall. He'll take a few peacocks with him. Um, so I saw people arguing about it going back and forth. Like he was over the line. I don't think he was over the line. He just said something that coaches in his position don't normally say. I, you know, then the other side of it was, why are you out there bashing Kevin Willard? All he did was tell the truth. Well, he kind of told the truth. He didn't tell the whole truth. He said, um, you know, um, I'm going to sit down with my agent and and look at everything, which was the truth. And then he added, but I don't even know who my agent's talking to. That's not the truth. <laughs> like that, that part wasn't true. So let's not like give him too much credit for telling the truth. Like he was just being honest. He wasn't being completely honest. Um, I, either way, like I didn't get worked up about it one way well, or the you other. Know, it, it, this is the way these things work, right? Lincoln Riley had no idea right. that USC <laughs> wanted to hire him until after the Big 12 championship game ended. It just came out of nowhere. You know? Yeah, that's, that's also a lie. Like uh, these coaches, they all have agents who are very connected, very good and paid well. And uh, it, I, I always believe, like, in that situation, Lincoln Riley has not had a single conversation with anybody at USC, but his agent has had every conversation with somebody at USC and worked out every detail. And then he goes back to um, to Lincoln Riley and says, hey, here's what we got. If you're interested in doing it, bang, 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 bang. And then when your season's over, you get on a Zoom call. Hey, good to see you. Um, yeah, everything sounds good. I'm excited. You get it done just like that. Um you know, a lot of people, not just coaches, but people who have agents, even in our industry, like work out contracts with well before they've ever actually talked to the people on the other side because the agent handles the whole thing. So is it true that Kevin Willard hadn't talked to Maryland before um, his season was over? Sure. I'm, I'm assuming so. But his agent had all that stuff in the works and Kevin Willard knew who his agent was talking to. I'll take Purdue to win the game. I'll take St. Peter's plus the 12 and a half. The second game that's going to tip off on Friday, 1C Kansas, 4C Providence, United Center, Chicago, Friday night, 729 p.m. Eastern. Is this listed as a seven and a half point favorite? Can Ed Cooley shut the haters up one more time? Trivia time, Gary. Oh, oh God, let's go. Who was the coach at Providence the last time the Friars reached the Elite Eight? Is it the late Pete Gillen? R.I.P. Pete. <laughs> Dude, that was outrageous. Have y'all talked about I didn't listen to yesterday's episode. Did y'all talk about this? I yet? don't think I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but like I was in studio with Pete Gillen. Tell me now, he, just to, uh, and like, okay. what happened. Okay. So Pete, bless him. He is alive and he's the sweetest man. The absolute sweetest man. Everybody loves him. I love him to pieces. Like he's he's the type of guy who he Pete has a friend who who works in the Mets organization. Like Pete Gillen lives on Cape Cod uh, during the summers. He's got a place. And he'll go to Cape Cod League baseball games. Just sit there. Like you might be at a game on a Wednesday afternoon, and you're like, I think, is that Pete Gillen? It absolutely is Pete Gillen. He just will go sit and watch baseball. You don't even know who the players are. He just go sit and watch baseball and enjoy the, the outside. Man, goals. For, in my 70s, if I can have a life like that, oh. that's not great. So Pete, he's the type. He's this type. 
I'll just, you know, it'll be a random day. Phone will ring. Pete Gillen pops up. Hey, coach. Hey, so, uh, Gare, I hope you're well. I hope the family's well. Uh, I was just talking to my friend who works in the Mets organization, and they're really excited about, you know, some AAA prospect. He'll give me Mets. He'll call me just to give me Mets updates about prospects coming to the system. Pete Gillen is awesome. So we're all in studio, and Pete works hard, man. Like, he is scribbling notes down the entire – like, a lot of us, being honest, we're watching games, we're eating food, we're telling jokes, we're goofing around. And Pete has got his head buried in his work the whole time. I mean, a stack of papers like this of notes. He ain't typing anything to a computer. He's making notes, constantly writing. So Rex Chapman is telling a story live on TV. And he's like, and um, it was the late Pete Gillen. And then he circles back to it. Rest in peace, Pete Gillen. And I'm like, oh, my God. At the CBS Broadcast Center, we've got this place called the bullpen, and it's where everybody sits in between, like, halftimes and pregame shows. Like, we all go out to the set when it's time to go out to set and be on TV, but we don't sit out there the whole time. There's a, a place where we sit. We've all got computers, and there's 12 televisions and all that. Everybody hears this except Pete because he, <laughs> he's so focused on his work. So then the conversation is like, do we – do we tell him that Rex Chapman just said he was dead <laughs> or do we just let it slip by? And at some point it becomes clear, this is going to be a big thing. Like this is going to trend on Twitter and you know, it's going to get picked up. And so I, I think it was Adam Zucker was nominated. All right. You be the one to tell Pete that he's dead. <laughs> so Zook had to go talk to Pete and show him the clip. And Pete, I wish we had this on tape. If we'd have thought about it, we would have got somebody to film Adam Zucker telling Pete Gillen that Rex Chapman just killed him live on TV because <laughs> here's what Pete, here's the first thing Pete said. So Zook shows him the clip and Pete looks at it. And he, you know, the last thing he hears is rest in peace, Pete Gillen. He sits there for, he sits there for about five seconds. And then he goes, well, at least my wife can collect the life insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a, I mean, I felt sick for Rex because clearly he just got confused and, you know, he just got mixed up a little bit, which, which can happen to anybody. Uh, but like, you don't want it to happen to you. And so I, I thought Rex handled it after, you know, it's a mistake. There's no getting around it. But after it happened, I thought he handled it pretty well. I think his comeback was, you know, don't do drugs for 15 years or else you'll get confused every once in a while, too. So um, yeah, he, it, he it, was it, funny it, about it after the fact, like right. all told, no, 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 no harm, no foul. Right. And, and the right. way y'all handled it on the set was hilarious. Like Zucker's <laughs> like and the incredibly vibrant Pete Gillen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we decided that uh, we're going to we're going to, you know, have fun with it, but we need to let Pete know, too. But imagine Pete's in a room with 30 people. He's the only one who didn't know that Rex Chapman had just killed him on TV and Zook had to tell him. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a fun night. So back to the game. Kansas Providence. Providence is a four seed. By the way, just four spots better at Kempom than 11 seed Iowa State. Providence 33rd at Kempom, Iowa State 37th. Providence, we talked about this all season. If you're trying to figure out why their computer numbers aren't as strong as their resume suggests, uh, they are. It's because they're 11-2 and two 
in games decided by five or fewer points. They've won a lot of close games, and three of their five losses are by at least 17 points. So most of their losses are blowouts. They don't have very many, but most of them are blowouts, and they've won a lot of close games. Um, interesting development of Kansas. Remy Martin, after struggling with injuries and struggling in general all season, suddenly a real factor. Like He only a- is averaging 8.1 points on the season. But he's reached double figures now in four straight games. In this NCAA tournament, he's averaging 17.5 points, four assists. So he's been really, really good. And um, that's why I'll take Kansas to win the game and ultimately go to the Final Four. By the way, Gonzaga is still the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. But the most likely team to get to the Final Four is Kansas, according to the betting markets. And that's because, you know, they're a seven and a half point favorite in the Sweet 16. And then yeah, in the Elite Eight, play a, a double-digit seed in the next game. That's exactly right. So if, if you can wrap your head around this, it's not complicated, but I know it might sound confusing to people who don't understand the betting market. Gonzaga is still the favorite to win the whole thing, but Gonzaga is not the most likely team to make the Final Four. Kansas yeah, because is if, now... If Gonzaga and Kansas played in the national championship, Gonzaga would be a five-and-a-half-point favorite. So Something like that. Um, but but Kansas, this is the simplest way to put it, they've just got the simplest path from this point to New Orleans, according to the computer. Well, so had, I'll take... No, they had yeah. the simplest path all along. They had this, the, the easy... The Midwest region was a hot pile of garbage with computer trickers and teams that were slumping <laughs> and... A, a fraudulent number two seed in Auburn, and the list goes on. It was always the easiest path, and I'm a little perturbed by that because, in my opinion, Kansas was the least deserving of the number one seeds. They won the Big 12 tournament, and that helped them save face at the end, but this is not a dominant Kansas team, and I'm picking Providence to win this game straight up, and, and there maybe it's an issue on on my end that – I, I'm able to pick Providence straight up, but I can't pick Houston straight up. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not about Providence or Houston. It's about who their opponent is. And I don't believe in this Kansas team like I should or like like you would normally believe in the number one seed that has a favorable path. One of the big reasons for that is the uh, inconsistency of David McCormick, who was not very good the other day. Uh, against a team that didn't have its primary big man on the floor. Creighton and, and Cockbrenner um, were, you know, Creighton was playing six guys. They just lost their best interior big man, and David McCormick was almost a non-factor on the inside. And so I say all this, and, and then he'll he'll turn it on and go for 26 and, and 11 against Providence because that's just who he's been his whole career is so inconsistent. But I just can't trust Kansas in, in this moment. And the Remy Martin thing almost gives me more pause because you're talking about shifting pieces in March, in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, and relying on a guy that, sure, is talented, but he's been butting heads with the coaching staff all year. I want somebody to write a book on what's going on with, with Remy Martin at Kansas this year. And where is he out in the, within the locker room? Where is he at in terms of respect from his teammates? I don't know. There's just some issues here. And I, I've ridden with Remy Martin for a long time. Really, since I've been at CBS, like I've continually – kind of promoted his career at various points with dribble handoffs and all these different things we do. But I don't know. I just, I don't trust Kansas, even though this path is, is quite easy for them. And I'm, I'm going Providence straight up. Nice. The third game on Friday night tip off is going to be a uh, four seed UCLA, eight seed North Carolina, Wells Fargo center, Philadelphia scheduled a tip approximately nine 40 PM Eastern UCLA is a two and a half point favorite. Are you concerned about the status of Jaime Jaquez. 
Uh, yeah, for sure. But I think I like about this UCLA team is it's a deep team. Because even after Hawkes checked out of the game the other day, they, they still outscored St. Mary's by eight over the final seven minutes without him on the floor. And so this is a, a UCLA team that I think to the casual fan, uh, best known by uh, Hawkes and Juzang. Tiger Campbell's a really good player too. Jules Bernard can go off on you. They've got some other dudes like Peyton Watson, who is a, is a super talented guy and a couple of good bigs in Miles Johnson and uh, Cody Riley, who um, I think are better suited to match up with North Carolina than a Baylor team that only had one big. Uh, I just like the variety of options that Mick Cronin has with this lineup here. Uh, I think he can be a tactician against a North Carolina team that is only plays like six guys and, and plays two kind of, you know, uh, dinosaur type bigs in, in Manic and, and Baycott. Certainly Manic can shoot from the perimeter, but can he defend on the perimeter against uh, the dynamic, you know, uh, four out lineup that UCLA has. I like UCLA. I got UCLA in the final four in my initial bracket. So I'll stick with that, but obviously um, Hakez's ankle uh, is, is an issue. Um, Mick Cronin, you know, did say if he can walk, he'll play. And I'm assuming he can walk, so I'm assuming he'll play. But I'll be interested to see exactly how well he's moving around. Um, obviously, North Carolina has turned into one of the better stories in the sport. You know, first-year coach Hubert Davis, it was a rocky season for much of the season. And after they lost to Pitt on February 16th, they were on the wrong side of the bubble, according to most people who put together brackets. And since then, if you run the data at Bartorvik.com, so blessed that I learned how to pick different start dates and end dates for data at Bartorvik.com. It took me a minute, but I figured it out. If you run the numbers from the day after North Carolina lost to Pitt to today, this surprised me. North Carolina is the third best team in the country behind only Texas Tech and Kansas. Um, they've been playing really well for more than a month now. And so that combined with the uncertainty surrounding Jaime Jaquez um, is concerning, should be concerning if you're a UCLA fan. But this is one where I'll just stick with my initial bracket and go UCLA to win and UCLA to cover um, the two and a half. And the last game of the Sweet 16. 10 seed Miami, 11 seed Iowa State, United Center, Chicago. Friday night, going to tip approximately 10 p.m. Eastern. Miami is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, which is interesting because I believe Iowa State opened as a slight favor, and then it flipped really quickly. Which double-digit seed do you think is going to the Elite Eight? I'm going Miami. Gary, do you know who the last coach was to lead Miami to the Elite Eight? Last coach, lead Miami to the Elite Eight. Was it Leonard Hamilton? It's never happened. Never! Trick question. So I think, yeah, it was. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I think it happens now. I think I think, I think Miami's veteran guard play, the time-honored cliche of March. Check that one off your bingo card. Uh, but it's so true in this case with Wong and McGusty, and I can't even remember. They got a bunch of really quick dudes who don't turn the ball over out there taking care of business. Uh, Miami's a, a fun team to watch and a team that won on the road at Duke this year, you know, so a, a, a legit threat here and maybe even a threat to reach the final four. I think that veteran guard play, man. And then how about Sam Wardenberg? 
he made Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler look like little guys out there. He was just swatting everything that they threw up. And I don't think his stat line ended up being that beautiful, but he deserves a lot of credit for the fact that Auburn's best players and their their lauded front court was a combined like three of 19 or something in that neighborhood in, in that game the other day. Just an incredible effort from Wardenburg on the interior. So combine him with those guards from Miami – I think the Canes are going to the Elite Eight for the first time under the uh, the vibrant and healthy Jim Laranega. It's wild. Uh, in the preseason, a lot of people thought this might be Laranega's last season. Like he, you know, may or may not have a good year, but it would end somewhere short of the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, he might, you know, decide, all right, that's a career. Uh, instead, uh, got the Canes to the NCAA tournament. He signed a contract extension. And now they're favored to go to the Elite Eight uh, for, as you tell me, the first time in school history. Dan Walken, USA Today, had an interesting column the other day about um, how old Miami is. Like the starting backcourt, Charlie Moore, Cameron McGusty, both guards, 24 years old, been in college six years. Wardenburg's 23. Uh, the youngest starter is Isaiah Wong, 21 years old. So they are a really old team. And, um, I, you know, I don't know if that's like a blueprint for how you want to be going forward, but you know, I, every coach will tell you, or at least most coaches will tell you, um, if you got to pick between talent and experience, take talent every time. But if you can get talented, experienced people, that's the best. Um, this Miami team's got some talented, experienced people, and um, they're they're really operating at a nice level right now. They didn't just beat Auburn; they blew Auburn out, and really from start to finish. And in this tournament so far, they've only turned it over seven times in two games. Exactly. I believe that's the fewest turnovers through two games for any team in NCAA tournament history. On the season, Miami's offensive turnover percentage is 13.6, which ranks six nationally. So they really take care of the ball. That's among the reasons they're one of the top 20 offenses in the country. Iowa State, fifth in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So this is going to be your classic good offense against great defense. The problem, I think, for Iowa State, and I will not be surprised um, if Iowa State wins the game. I should be clear about that. As somebody pointed out in the comments, I saw Iowa State only loses to Big 12 teams. They don't lose to teams outside of uh, outside of the Big 12 because they put together an incredible non-league resume, um, which allowed them to finish below 500 in the Big 12, but still you know, easily make the NCAA tournament. The issue for Iowa State is that um, they just really have a hard time scoring. Like they beat LSU 59-54, beat Wisconsin 54-49. Like Wisconsin shot a season-low field goal percentage, turned it over a season-high time, and still Iowa State could only, um, you know, win by five. Look, they won the game. They're here. It's amazing. Two game, two wins last season. New coach, TJ Osselberger. They're uh, in the Sweet 16. Incredible story. You could make an easy case for T.J. Osselberger to be, if not National Coach of the Year, certainly on the short list of National Coach of the Year candidates. But I don't think you can beat Miami's in, in the 50s. I think you got to get probably to the 60s, maybe even mid to high 60s. And I don't know if Iowa State can get there. So I'll take Miami to win the game, and I'll also lay the points with Miami. Again, they're laying two and a half points nada open up your mic and explain to me what's been going on because i see countless people saying because i've been here they the whole can't time. get in yep we've been here the whole time people have had hard times getting in we get to blame youtube for this 
Hey, this YouTube. is not our exactly. Unfortunately, YouTube failed us, and this is what happens when some people could get in, some people couldn't get in. It feels like everybody has that wanted to get in has now finally gotten in. Welcome, but it 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 delayed a lot of yeah. It delayed a lot of us. Yeah, I saw uh, the comments. People saying, "Hey, I can't get it. When is this show going to start?" I'm like, "We started nine minutes ago." Because I keep it open on my phone here, so I can just, uh, you know, make sure it's up and running and monitoring you know, whatever I can monitor. And um, I was like, "We've been here the whole time." I didn't know whether to stop in real time because we are live. So I just kept talking through it as if I was unaware that some people were having issues. But if you were having issues, um, I, uh, we apologize. It, it wasn't my fault. I'm certain it wasn't David Cobb's fault, and I'm certain it wasn't Nada's fault either. Sometimes I guess things like this happen. But to make up for it, Nada will now be giving all of you gift cards to Paramount Plus. Oh, hold on. Hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Everybody sure got that many. Yeah, everybody. Everybody gets a, a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus. I'm just kidding. We can't do that. I think oh. we'd have to we'd have to talk to the bosses before we did that. But we can't give one away, can't we? I already did. Evan Riggs got got this one, and and again, shout out to Evan Riggs for sticking with us. He's one of the many that stuck with us until it got we until YouTube got right. Unfortunately, uh, again, I. Y'all have a new producer if I we give everybody in here hundred dollar gift cards because that'd be my fault. Okay, we won't do it then because I don't I don't want to start working with a new produce, producer. I'd like to keep you. So um, shouts to Evan, congrats, and like I said, we apologize for any issues you might have had on YouTube. I'm confident if you missed part of the show that when we uh, when this uploads and is permanent at YouTube, it'll be there uh, in in uh, in. In, in complete form and uh, as always you can listen to it on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts this is actually great making good time I might actually not have to beg the people at the Delta counter are you sure you can't check my bag please check my bag I've been cutting it close like two or three weeks like like gotta check your bag 30 minutes before takeoff and I'm like 31 minutes before takeoff, 29 minutes before takeoff. I've been cutting it too close. So this is actually perfect. I don't I don't think I'm going to be late this time. I'm proud of you, man. I'm glad Thank I could you. help. I'm proud of I'm proud of myself. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Todd Fields, seven-foot legend, averaged 0.7 points in three games for Baylor in the 1996-97 season. Shouts to Larnell, and thank you guys. Once again, for listening to at least part of the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars, nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. Don't let them trick you. There's more of us than there are of them. That should be represented in the comments over at Apple Podcasts. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, Despite our struggles today, I still think you should do it. So knock that out. Smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. And here's the schedule going forward. Best I can tell. We're going to have wrap-up shows uh, on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night um, at some point. I'm in studio for CBS Sports Network uh, every night. Um, So on Thursday night, 
it's going to be around 1.30 Eastern because I don't get out of the studio until around 1. Um, on Friday night, I think maybe Norlander and Cobb or Boom will go a little earlier because I'll be in studio late, but everything will be over earlier. So there's a way to get it done without me uh, in a more reasonable hour. Um, so don't quote me on any of this stuff. Just know this, that uh, a, a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, once all the games are over, at some point, we'll be live on YouTube recapping all of the action. So we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.